Morning, morning. How are we doing? Good. Anybody hear like that weird like ticking like it was just the light. Nothing's going to blow up that we know of. Um, this side of the room, you're going to be great. Um, uh, this side. So I'm just going to preach over here. No, I'm just joking. No, the battery is going dead in that thing, and so that means we need to change it. And unless you just want to hear the, okay, <laughs> amen. <laughs> um, all right, awesome. Well, if you have your Bibles, grab those. Matthew 26 this morning. Matthew 26, we'll start in verse 36 here in a few moments. But we are in our last week of our series, The Prayers of Jesus. Uh, we're just finishing up this study on prayer, especially as it pertains to Jesus and how he prayed and some of the things that he prayed about as we just peer into those dark moments of his life. As we get to see as he uh, vastly approaches the cross, some of the things that God pressed upon his heart for him to go to him about. And so over the last few weeks, what we look at is we look at Jesus finishing the Passover meal. And he's there with his disciples and he spends a few moments praying for them. Praying for himself, praying for them, and then he is going to pray for us. And that's what we looked at last week. And so this week what we're going to see is Jesus take his disciples, all except Judas, because he's already departed in preparation of betraying Jesus. And so he takes his disciples to the garden. And, and in this place, Jesus in deep sorrow and agony, what he's going to do is he's going to enter into a profound time of his personal prayer with the Father. And this is just minutes before his betrayal, before his arrest, before the cross is before him. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. But I, I want to ask you a question. Anybody, anybody keep a journal Anybody like, like, like jot down thoughts? Anybody like a prayer journal or just like, like things that you just want to get out that you just, um, just, just write out? Anybody? Okay, th this, is not, this is a good thing. Like it's good to get it out and it's good to have that. Okay, good. And it's cool to kind of go back and be able to see the things that God does. Well, uh, a few weeks ago, we're, we're cleaning out in preparation of, of the new baby and we're cleaning out some things and doing some stuff like that. And in doing that, uh, Meredith comes across, we come across this notebook and in this notebook, this notebook is a prayer notebook that she had back whenever she was just starting into college. And so um, she finds it, she begins to thumb through it and begins to read some of the things and kind of reminisce. And she's like, Scott, you've got to come here and check this out. And, and I get to look at it and kind of see what's happening and see what her thoughts are. And it's like really cool to be, um, we've been married for 13 years. Uh, so to be 13 years down the road married and kind of look back at this time when we did before we were even engaged and kind of see some of the things that she was praying for, some of the things that she was asking God to move and do. And then she gets to the Scott page, as I like to call it. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what I said. She'll kill me. Even though she's at home, she'll still kill me because she's watching. But it was just neat to see, like, her pray, like, just for me. For us to see what God would do, to see how he would work and move and just some of the things that she was going through and God was doing in her heart. It was, just, it was neat to be able to kind of go back and, and revisit some of that and just see how God has just made his presence known. But the thing about that book, that journal that she had, is, is what it is. It's just her intimate cry before God. It's her intimate thoughts, it's her, her, her a desperation for Jesus, some of the things that she was asking him to move and make his presence known all the more in her life. And it's just this, this very serious, intimate time that she had with the Lord. I mean, and, and you see it on TV shows often, don't you? When they, whenever somebody keeps a diary and that diary falls into the wrong hands or that journal gets into the wrong hands, what happens? They usually use it for their good and for the bad of the other person. And, and so, so it's a very just intimate moment, those thoughts that are pressed upon that person's heart as they record those, as they write those down. And, and so I guess I got to thinking about that this week as we're, we're about to see that, that pretty much happened in the life of Jesus. 
as he's going to pull back the curtain and allow us to see one of these most intimate conversations, deep conversations that he has with the Father. I mean, wow, the fact that we have the privilege and honor of being able to, to just see his heart, see what happens. And so as he goes to the garden, Matthew and Mark, they refer to the garden by name, the Garden of Gethsemane. John refers to the location as the garden across, across from the Kindred Brook. Luke tells us that Jesus took the disciples to the Mount of Olives. And so Gethsemane just means olive press, and, uh, and it's a garden outside of Jerusalem across from the Kindred there on the Mount of Olives. And so according to, to Luke, we see that Jesus visits this place often, that he goes to this place often to do what? To pray, to get away with the Father, to uh, almost as if he's going to have those times of intimacy and, and, and communion with the Father. We see him go there, and the Scriptures teach us of that. So this morning what we're going to see is this, is that Jesus is about to face the greatest trial of his life. And he experiences this overwhelming agony, this overwhelming sorrow. And in this moment, what we're going to get to experience, what we're going to get to open up the pages and look at is this most intimate moment as he cries out before the Father. But before we do that, I want to ask you if you'd join me as we pray. Father, we love you, Jesus. We need you desperately. Father, we just thank you so much for the privilege and honor to be able to, to, to experience and see, God, and hear this conversation that your son is going to have with you. God, that, that we can kind of dissect it to its deepest roots. God, that we can have this opportunity to be aware of what's really going on in the heart of Jesus here. And Father, may we learn and grow as a result of it as we see this most intimate communion with you and your boy. Father, I, I just Thank you for this, this gem that we have here in the Scriptures. And so, Father, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit just uh, speaks to the heart of your people. God, speak to my heart. God, give me a greater understanding of your love for us. God, give me a greater understanding of what the gospel means. God, give me a greater understanding and passion for the cross. And God, I pray that same thing for the men and women here in this room and the men and women that will hear this online this week. God, that you would just move in a mighty way this morning to bring glory and honor to yourself and to help grow us all the more into maturity. Jesus, we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Matthew 26, starting in verse 36, this is, this is what the word says. Then Jesus went with them, them as his disciples here, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and I pray. And so we see this often in the scriptures, don't we? And I mention it to you quite often. Every time that we see this or every time I'm preaching or it's near the scriptures that we're looking at, uh, we see Jesus often, what, slip away to do what? To pray. To have these intimate moments with his Father to kind of disconnect from the craziness of the world or disconnect from the craziness of situations or circumstances. And we see him get away. And I always point you to this. And I'm going to continue to always point you to this. If we have the Son of God in the flesh needing to disconnect and have communion and fellowship with the Father, Him, God in the flesh. How much more do we need that in our life? And so we see Jesus taking every opportunity that He has to get away and to be with His Father. And so I love what Ian, Ian Bounds says. Ian Bounds is just this, this great theologian of his time, this man of prayer. He says the central significance of prayer is not in the things that happen as a result. He says the main thing is not what happens as a result. But in the deepening intimacy and unhurried communion with God at his central throne of control, in order to discover a sense of God's need, in order to call on God's help to meet that need. 
So what Ian Bounds says, the great heart of prayer is this, is intimacy with God and dependence upon God. That's what it is. More so than even the outcome of what we pray for. He says the greatest thing about prayer is that fellowship and communion with the Savior. And so I believe this is just what Jesus was teaching his disciples over and over and over in the Gospels. I believe this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples here in this moment. of His great need for his Father. His great connection with God the Father. So church, we need to have a deep intimacy and close communion with God. We need that in our life. So prayer is an act of faith whereby we launch into the deep waters of dependency and trust on our Heavenly Father. That's what prayer is. That's the heart of prayer, communion and fellowship with God. And the thing that I love about it and I always point you to is the fact that He wants it. He welcomes us in. He wants communion and fellowship with us. Think about that for a moment. The creator of the heavens, the creator of all things, the one that gives life and takes life, invites us in to fellowship with him, invites us in to commune with him, invites us in to have relationship. He longs for that with us. He wants us as his. And so the scriptures go on in verse 37. It says this. It says, And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And so what we know about these two is that these, or these three, they compose kind of this inner circle of Jesus' disciples. They occasionally become part of of events and uh, things that the rest of the group of the twelve doesn't get invited to or doesn't get to be kind of a part of. And so Jesus, in this very tense and difficult moment, He's going to share with his three closest at a very deep, intimate moment. He's going to invite them in yet again, as he has in the past, this deep, intimate moment that he's going to experience with the Father, this deep desperation moment that he's going to have with his Father. And so I just just want to press you for a second here, because I believe this is a great illustration of what we need to have in our life. And I want to talk directly to the men for a moment, because I believe, men, we need this. I mean, I believe we need an inner circle of men that know us. That truly know us. Not the fluff fluff of our favorite team or oops, I said a, a dirty word, but not the big one. Like, like I'm talking about uh, one that, ones that really, really know us. We need guys that are ready to go to war with us. That are ready to fight for us for the honor and glory of God. That, that, that truly know us. And I don't mean just kind of know us or kind of flirt with knowing us or know a few stats about us. But I mean men that know our heart. And I know that kind of gets weird and awkward when we talk about men knowing other men's hearts. But I believe that's what we see here with Jesus, him inviting them in, him bringing them deeper along with him. We need men in our life that are going to hold us accountable. They're going to love us and they're going to know us and be committed to, in knowing us, to press us all the closer to that of Christ. They'll be committed to pray for us and see us as we progress in maturity with Jesus. And so we need those that are going to be committed to praying for us for the glory and honor of Christ. Because our culture says, no, man, you gotta, if you're going to be a man's man, you're a loner. Out in the woods, all by yourself with just a knife. Going at it rugged and hard, and you're not afraid of nothing, and you don't show emotion, and you don't need people. And that's just a lie from the pit of hell. We were created for relationship. We were created to, to enjoy relationship with God the Father and with others. We were created for that, and we so desperately need that. And our culture says, no, you just need to be a loner. Be by yourself. Figure it out. You can do it. You don't want people to truly know you. 
But you, you don't want to open up yourself to that because you'll get hurt. And I'm here to say yes and amen, you will get hurt. But it's so worth it to be fully known by people. To be fully relational with people to the point where they, they're praying and they're asking and they're pressing you along. Because what I know is this, is when Scott's left alone, good things don't happen. When Scott's off by himself and he is in his own head, good things don't come from that. But what I have learned is this, is that when I have men in my life, when I have people in my life pressing me on, encouraging me, challenging me, holding me accountable, all of those things, man, God does his best work in that. And so I press hard here for men, but I also want to press women too. Women, you need other women in your life. And I just, I just want to be clear here because I'm saying it the way that I mean to say it. Men need men and women need women. Men don't need women and women don't need men. We need people of the same sex. We need people that are going to press us on, that, that, are, that are in the places that we're in, that are going through the things that we're going through. We don't need to be dangerous and set ourselves up in a way where, where my accountability partner is a female. That, that should never happen. No, no, no. It's another man who's going to walk the distance with me. But, but women need this as well. You need an inner circle of women that are going to encourage you, that are going to press you on, that are going to hold you accountable. They're going to press you all the more toward Christ. And the thing that I love about this right here is that we get to see Jesus doing that with his three closest. As he pulls them aside and he's going to engage them. And this is what he says in verse 38. Then he said to them, those three closest to him, my soul is very powerful, even to death. So Jesus is going to open up and he's going to share with them something that he's going through. He's going to let them kind of step into this place and this space of where there's struggle in his heart. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. So it's so possible to become so sad and so heavy that reality is distorted and the future seems hopeless and action seems impossible. And just maybe, I just want to hang out here for a moment. Maybe that's been you in this season. Maybe you've tasted this. And this is not small. It's not an easy world we're living in now. A lot of uncertainties. There's a lot of uh, uh, anxiousness. There's a lot of unknown coming down the pike. I mean, as school starts back up this year, uh, as we try to figure out what the normal is going to start to look like, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty, and we can become very overwhelmed in those moments. And so what Jesus sees here is he, he, he steps into that reality, and he invites those closest to him. See, see Jesus' mission appears to be jeopardized here. And he's got to fight against this immobilizing effects of this horrible weight of sorrow. And he's going to show us how he does that. And I believe it's something that we can pull from, something that we can learn from as he continues. He says, remain here and watch with me. So he takes those three deeper and he says, wait, wait here. I want you to be here and I want you to, to watch with me. Watch with me means to be awake. It means to be engaged. It means to be alert, to be, to be aware of what's going on, what's taking place, what's happening. To be, to be engaged is what he's calling them to. I mean, he shares this deep, deep, intimate detail about himself. And then he says, all right, I want to invite you into that. And I want you to be a part of that with me. Stay here and, and watch with me. So in the depth of who Jesus is here in this moment as a man, there is grief that he's experiencing. And he shares it with those disciples. He leans in on them and he shares his soul with them. He pulls back the curtain for a moment. And he invites them into this space where there is pain. And that pain is evident. And so Jesus fights the way he often fought. And he allows us to see how he fights. 
And church, this is how we need to fight. Church, this is how we need to be. This is how we need to act and react. Look, look at what he does, and he says this in verse 39 as, as he starts out. He says, and going a little further, he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, my father. So this is how Jesus fights. This is what Jesus invites them into is this time of, of wartime prayer of approaching the throne of God and crying out on his behalf. He, he wants him to engage and be a part of the battle that he's going through. He falls on his face and he prays. And so that needs to be the same thing for us. When we face difficult circumstances, when we're engaged in this crazy world that we're living in, we as sons and daughters need to cry out, Abba, Father. Just as Jesus does here in this moment. I mean, how more intimate can you get? Jesus in the flesh cries out for his heavenly father and he calls him daddy. I mean, is that not amazing? And throughout the scriptures, we see that same invitation for us to be able to enter into relationship in that kind of a depth, that kind of a way with our fathers. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what God's stirring in your heart or what this crazy uh, season of life has brought your way. But what I do know is that Jesus invites us in. God invites us into the throne in the most intimate ways where we as sons and daughters of the king can cry out, Father. Where we can cry out, Daddy, I need you. And so there's intimacy here. There's relationship. There's deep connection. There's the ear of God. He hears and he cares. Think about that for a moment. I mean, I mean think about how many conversations you've had probably over the last month of where you've shared something and it probably just went in one ear and out the other. Or you've said something and it's kind of maybe even just been not even really accepted that much. But the fact of the matter here is that's not the case with God the Father. He hears, he knows, he's aware, and he invites it, he welcomes it, he wants it. As he continues on, 39, he says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So, so here in the scriptures, when we see this cup part here, when he says the cup, a cup is often just a symbol of divine wrath against sin. And so the next day, Jesus would bear the sins of many in the fullness of God's just and holy wrath. All of that would fall on him. That's what that cup that he's talking about here is. And look at what he says. He says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Father, Dad, if there's any other way that we can do this, can we go that direction? Can we go that route? He says, if possible, please. And so what we know is that this was the price of the sin that he bore and that he's going to pay in full. And so his cry here in this moment in anguish is the reflection of the extreme bitterness of the cup of wrath that he's about to drink. He knows what's coming. And this cup would be all the horrors of the next 18 hours. You'll have the physical torture. You'll have the abandonment of his friends. You'll have the turning away of the Father while he becomes sin for us. See, this is what Jesus is about to drink. This is what Jesus is about to take on. And words cannot even come close to begin to describe all that Jesus is going to go through in this moment of desperation. Man, the weight of what Jesus is about to take upon him. And he asks if there is any way to achieve God's purpose of salvation without drinking this cup. And if so, then let's let that cup pass without me drinking. That's what Jesus asks for here. And so what we see is a very vulnerable moment in Jesus' life, do we not? Uh, this is that diary being opened up. 
This is the pages being filled with this intimate detail. And we have the opportunity and the privilege. God has put it there for us to see. So whenever you're struggling, whenever you're going through that difficult time in life, whenever you're going through whatever it is that you're going through, it's okay to cry out to God like this. I would say that it's welcome. God knows our heart. He sees and he wants and he longs for fellowship and communion this way. And so in this vulnerable moment of struggle, Jesus pours out his heart to the Father. And then look at where Jesus lands. This, this, look, look, at how, look at where he gets to. Look at what prayer does in him. As he continues in verse 39, he says, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So he says, says, says Dad, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, if there's any way to accomplish all that we're going to accomplish here in the next few hours, if there's any way that we can go about that in a different way, can we do it? But, but he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus' way of fighting against this crushing sorrow is to ask that if it, if it be possible not to have me drink of this cup of agony. So the statement of not my will but yours is a monumental statement for us today in the church, is it not? For us today as followers of Jesus, this is a monumental statement. Why? Because we live in a world where if things become hard, we just quit. If things become difficult, we check out. And in the church, we're the same way. Are we not as believers? If it becomes too hard or too difficult, well, it can't be God's will. Because, his, because God has never promised us something that, he's, that, that, that we're not getting. He's never promised us health, wealth, and prosperity. In fact, it's quite the opposite, is it not? If you read the Scriptures, if you're in tune with the men and women of the Scriptures, it's like the moment they come to Jesus and they find life and they begin to follow and walk in glad obedience to Christ, what happens? Life goes all to pieces. I mean, I mean who's signing up for Paul, the Apostle Paul's duty? I mean, who wants that responsibility? I mean, there's a portion of Scripture where he's shipwrecked. He's left out in the ocean. He crawls onto the shore, and what happens? He gets bit by a snake. And I'm thinking, I got to read that. I'm like, God, are you kidding me? I mean, this man is doing this for your glory and for your honor, and he gets bit by a snake. Okay, shipwrecked, all right, whatever. But a snake bites him? Come on, man. I mean, it's just crazy. And you can see that over and over and over throughout the Scriptures. His disciples, horrific, horrific deaths. I mean, I don't know if you're in tune with some of the Old Testament prophets. But as they step out and they begin to follow God and they begin to proclaim the message of the gospel or the message of God is and is calling people back to the heart of God, it doesn't end well for them. I mean, I think of Isaiah, I think of Jeremiah, I think of Habakkuk. I mean, Habakkuk warns the people, this is coming, this is coming. Mark it down, write it on tablets. This is what God's going to do. He's going to let these wicked, uh, uh, perverse gener people take over the people of God. That's what God's plan is. And, and what happens to Habakkuk? He gets taken in captivity as well. I mean, this man of God doing what God's called him to do, only to be taken in captivity with the rest of the nation. I mean, I mean who's signing up for that? I mean, we see it over and over and over in Scripture. So, so what do we do as believers? We just quit. If it's too difficult for us, it can't be the will of God, right? Because God would never, us in 2020, us good little followers of Jesus, he would never do that to us because he loves us so much more than them, right? I mean, this is a new day. This is a new world. He would never allow us to go through struggles. He would never allow us to go through difficulties. He would never allow us to go through, you fill in the blank, 
And see, I would venture to argue because he does love us, because he does care for us, he allows us to go through. I mean, think about it. What does that do? I, I, don't, I don't know about you, and I don't know where you're at, and I don't know how things happen for you at the beginning of the year, and as you begin to pray for the new year, and you begin to pray for God to just do a mighty work in your life. Um, the, the, the constant prayer of my heart and the constant prayer of my life is this, is that, God, that you would give me a greater appetite for you. That, that you would help me to love and desire and want you far above anything else. And I just believe that's just a result of 2020. If you can handle the culture and the world right now the way it is and you not need Jesus, holy cow, I'm not that strong. So what does God do in his good grace and in his mercy? I want more of him. He doesn't just give me like uh, 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 unicorns and rainbows and sprinkles and all that stuff. No, what does he give? He gives me difficulty. He gives me struggle. He gives me fights. He gives me those type of things because what happens in my heart when that happens? Who do I run to? My strength. Who do I run to? My source. Who do I run to? Someone that can do anything, and that's God? Yes, he blesses, and yes, he gives, and yes, he does. I mean, some of his good, good gifts are difficulties from time to time because it's a constant reminder of his faithfulness and his goodness and a reminder of how much I need him because what I know when everything goes good, who do I forget to give credit to? Yeah. And I would venture to say that you're probably not much different than me in that. That, that when things go good and everything falls into place, who's the first one that we forget about? It's God. It's God because look at what we've done. Look at what we've accomplished. Look at where we've got to. Uh, look, at, look at us. We've done it. And who do we write off every time? And I say that because we just see that lived out in the Scriptures over and over and over, don't we? I, I mean, I was just thinking about Exodus the other day. I, I mean, no longer does God rescue the people from Egypt. And the next day, they're like, you brought us out here into the desert to kill us. God, what are you doing? Do they not remember where they were just at? In captivity, as slaves, being mistreated and abused? And and now what do they do? They forget that God even rescued him. They begin to blame him because now he's brought us out here to kill us. He's not even feeding us good food. We're no different. But what we see here in this scripture that is just so just rich is that Jesus submits to the Father's will no matter how difficult Oh, man, church, if we could learn from that, if we could get our heart around that, that Jesus submits to the Father's will no matter how difficult. I I just believe we need to hear that this morning. Because hear me, there are going to be times in following Jesus that he has things for us that we don't want or we don't like to do. There is going to be times in following Jesus and being a part of the family and the body of God, him as our Lord and Savior, that he's going to ask us and require us to do certain things that we don't like to do. And what I've learned in my life is that when he does that and it kind of pricks my heart, I'm like, uh, I'll follow you anywhere you want to go, Jesus, but there. What he's doing is just revealing a stronghold in my life that I need to give up. An area of my life that I've made a little God that he wants access to to get rid of. And so what I've learned is there's going to be many, many, many a times of following after the Lord that he's going to ask you to do, and he's going to press you out to do things that you don't want to do. And, and what I've learned in those moments is that we follow in glad obedience, and, I, and I'm no different. I don't like it. And, and I'll tell him that I don't like it. And you know what he does? He just kind of smiles and says, all right, big boy, let's just do it anyways. Because it's for his glory and for my good. 
Because there's areas of my life that I need to be changed. There's areas of my life that I need to be transformed in the image of the Son. And all I know is this, is whenever I'm here in my safe place, and I'm comfortable doing my little thing right here, there's not a lot of change going on. There's not a lot of friction. There's not a lot of pressing. There's not a lot of stuff going on pressing me all the more to maturity. I'm just kind of good doing my little thing right here, and everything's great. But the moment once he wants me to get out here and do something, or he wants me to go this way and do something that's out of my comfort zone, it's in those moments I get to experience all again how great and good and glorious he truly is. So being obedient to God's leading and, uh, is going to cost us. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us energy. It's going to cost us resources. It's going to cost us conversation. It's going to cost us a number of things. And here Jesus is in that same place. And what does he do? He submits in glad obedience. Even though he didn't like what was coming. Let this cup pass from me, Dad, if we can. And then look in verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not wash with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He says that the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so one thing that I want to press us here is that, is that I just want to push us into is that God wants for us more than we want for us. Look at what he says. He says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. God desires for us to grow deeper in him and follow him more, more obediently, far more than we want to. And, and I know we live like in church culture, and we're in the South, the good old Bible Belt, right? And, and man, we can talk a mean game. Yeah, I love Jesus. I want to follow him. Yes, he's my Lord. Yes, all this stuff. But the moment that he puts us in one of those difficult situations or those uncomfortable situations or circumstances, what do we want to do? We want to check it out and run. Or we just don't do it. Well, it can't be his will. It's got to be hard. So there's no way he would ask me to do something hard. He's just not like that. To which I've got proof after proof after proof and evidence after evidence after evidence that, that he is quite much like that. Why? Because he's good and loving. I mean, think about it for a moment, parents. Do you not do that with your kids? I mean, if you just let your kids do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, however they want to do it, and you never challenge them, you never press them to do the difficult things. Like, like I've got an eight-year-old right now that just hates to have this conversation of saying, I'm sorry. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to practice it. Why? Because you're going to mess up a ton in your life. And so me as a father... I'm going to help you in that to teach you. So every time you mess up, oh, we're going to have a conversation. And you're going to stand there and you're going to look me in the eye because that's how you talk to someone. You give them eye contact and you give them respect. And you look at them and you answer and you be engaged in what they're saying. I mean, we do all of that stuff with our kids, do we not? Why would God not do that with us? Because we're his kids and we need to grow up and we need to know and we need to learn and we need to be all of us. And so he desires for us to go deeper the flesh and the desires of the flesh is weak. We've got to kill it. We've got to kill those desires. And so the Spirit is willing and moving to draw us, to shape us, to push us all the more closer. And so what we're going to see here in verse 42 is what we're going to see in this prayer is that, that something has happened. Something has taken place between verse 41 and verse 42 that, that causes his prayer here the second time to be dramatically different. Look, look at what he says in verse 42. He says, again, for the second time he went. And he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Do you see the change there? In the first prayer, verse 39, you have the passing of the cup meant not to drink it. But in the second prayer here in verse 42, the passing of the cup means drinking it. So the first beginning of this prayer is it begins to pray. It's like, if, if I cannot drink it, okay, let this cup pass. But here in the second part of letting this cup pass, it means to, to drink it and to take it in. And so Jesus, what I find interesting here is that Jesus does not go on praying that he would not have to drink the cup. 
The cup is there. God has revealed the cup. God has showed him the cup. And so he doesn't go on and try to change God's mind or try to say, okay, God, you've got to have something different here. He went on to pray for success in drinking that cup. He went on to pray for that. All right, if, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So the heart of Jesus here at the end of the day is what is God's will being made known, being done. I mean, things have shifted between the first and the second prayer, has it not? I mean, this is a big deal. The first was keep the cup of death and suffering away from me if possible. And the second was as I drink the cup, don't let me fall or don't let me fail to do your will and accomplish my mission. Man, what a heart change there. His desire does, not, does what he prays for. God, whatever you see fit, it, it aligns his heart and his desire to the Father. Jesus is one way, okay, God, if, 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 Dad, if we can go this way, let's do it this way. Not my will, but yours. All right, Dad, if we've got to go this way, let's go this way. But for your glory and for your honor. I mean, how many times have you prayed like that? I mean, how many times have you seek God in those moments where, where, you, where you just kind of enter into that type of a prayer? God, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. God, do this, do this, do this, do this, only to finally arrive at, at God doing it, but in a way that you weren't expecting. But, but God showing up in a moment and in a season where you weren't expecting him to show up, though he's doing it, but just in a different way, from a different place than we thought he would do it. And he does it while for our good and for his glory, to accomplish his plan and his will. And so the more that I, that I pray and I learn about prayer, man, I'm just seeing where prayer maybe isn't so much about what God can do, and maybe it's more about what it does in me for my good and for his glory. I don't know if prayer is so much for changing the circumstances as it is for changing perspective. I'm not saying that he don't change circumstance. I'm not saying that he doesn't move in our prayers and he doesn't fulfill and he doesn't come through at the 11th hour and he doesn't do all. I'm not saying that. He does that all the time over and over and over. But what I'm saying, maybe what he's doing is a greater work in us more than the situation. To give us a change of perspective, a change of heart. A change of being able to see what his plan is, what his glory looks like. And so now God moves and he changes circumstances but man, how he has changed perspective so many times and how he's drawn us all the closer to him, all the while teaching us to trust and rely on him all the more. Just think about it over and over and over, church, how often he does that. God, we do this. God, we do this. God, we do this. Ah, okay, God, you did it, but you did it different. And, and isn't it crazy how so often we can go back and we can look at the things that we've prayed for in, in, in seasons ago and how in those moments we don't see fully what God's doing, but once we're stepped out or once we're maybe a month down the road or, or three months down the road or three years or ten years or twenty years down the road and we look back and we get to see the hands of God all in it and we're like, ah, okay. Ah, you are good. Ah, God, you are working. God, you are doing something. And it's in the midst of those difficulties and that, that friction and that struggle where he works in immense ways to do what? To shape us and mold us and grow us closer to him all the while. So verse 43, he goes on, he says, And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away, and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. I mean, so this happens three times. Okay, once maybe, but three times. I'm like, come on, guys, what, what are we doing over here? 
I mean, give him an energy shot or something, energy drink, and let's get this thing going. What, what are you doing? Hey, Peter, come on. James, John, what are you doing, guys? But he doesn't do that, does he? He just continues on praying and seeking the Father. And, and, and so what I want to press on you here in these verses, and I want to beg of you this morning, whatever you do, don't grow weary in praying. Church, please don't grow weary in praying. What do we pray for? Everything. Anything. I guess the better question is, what do we not pray for? We, we pray about everything. You, you see, Jesus invite into that. Man, to have that spirit and that heart of constant communion and fellowship and prayer with the Father. Uh, to, to, to pray without ceasing is what he teaches. Don't punt on this amazing privilege. Prayer does more for us than we'll ever know. And yes, I wanted to say it that way. Prayer does more in us and for us, communing with the Father and growing us closer and maturing us than we'll ever, ever know. Ian Bounds again says this. He says, spiritual work is taxing work. And men are loath to do it. Praying true prayers costs an outlay of serious attention and of time which flesh and blood do not relish. What Ian Bounds is saying is this, is what the, the, the inner circle of Jesus failed to do in this moment. Engage in the difficult work of prayer. I, I mean, you see the Apostle Paul talking like that, don't you? Labor with me as we pray. He invites people in for this difficult, hard, laborious work of prayer. Because it is, because our flesh fights against that. We can just figure it out. We can just do it ourselves. Prayer often uh, seems like it gets us nowhere. It does nothing. When all the while it does more than we'll ever know. So in this culture that we live in and the way things have evolved to get us to where we are in 2020, man, we've become lazy in doing the hard work of prayer. I grew up in a time, I don't, I don't know if, if you, you went to church uh, when you were younger, but I, I went some, and, and man, man, you would hear the church, I would hear the preacher talk of these prayer warriors. I'm like, dang, yes. Prayer warrior? I mean, what kind of suit do we get? Is there a sword to go with that? Like, I'm in. As a kid, like, I'm for, yes. Man, I'm thinking like ninja warrior type stuff. I'm like, what, we get a bandana? Like, what happens? I'm, I want to be a prayer warrior. And then as I grew and got to understand a little bit more, what it is, it's just these men and women who are serious about going before the throne of God and having a constant, ongoing conversation with God on behalf of others. And I didn't quite understand what they meant by prayer. I mean, that's, how's that a warrior? Because there is a battle raging with dark and evil and good. There is a battle, a true, real battle. And what I have learned about prayer is that it is work. It is work, and it's something that I do good for a day, and then it just kind of fades away. And then God is gracious enough to let something difficult come into my life, to let something get my attention that, that kind of pricks me in a different way, that, that hurts for a moment and allows me to run back and reminds me of my desperate need for Him. But, but this thought of prayer where God invites these men in to pray with Him. We in 2020 have become lazy doing the hard work, have we not? And I believe one of the reasons is because there's not instant gratification in it, is there? I, I, I mean, we live in this Amazon age where we can, get a, we can get a package delivered in two days if you got prime. If not, you're living in like, like 2015, man. Come on. I, I mean, you, you can call DoorDash, and they will have your food to you guaranteed by time, and it still be warm. You can go online right now and you can grocery shop right here in the middle of the service and it will be waiting on you when you arrive home. God will strike you and burn up your phone if you do that right now. Just know that. <laughs> I have prayed for that. But, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, we live in this instant gratification world that if, I've prayed for it. Why hasn't God come through? I mean, Amazon can deliver something in two days. God, where are you at? 
What are you doing? Wake up, wake up. I, I, this Christian boy needs something. Are you not aware? Do you not see? Do you not get it, God? Do, are you not understanding? I mean, last night we were sitting around the table. Meredith's uh, parents are in, and her brother and we're sitting around the table um, uh, just talking about, kind of reminiscing about old days. Old days, I'm 36, and so I'm talking about old days. Um, I've got three kids now. I can do that, right? Um, so, so we're talking about and reminiscing, and we start talking about some stuff. Anybody familiar with the rotary phone? Yeah. Ah, oh, if you mess up, you're like, ah, oh, okay. Was that a seven or an eight? And you wait too long, ah, oh, pick it up. Remember those good old days? We had one. And it had a cord on it, and you could only go, like, so far. Like, if you, like, you got a call and you had to talk to somebody, like, in secret, like, you're over here like this, trying to do your thing, and the cord's there, mama's right there. You can't get away. Then you get, a, then you get the um, cordless phone, and it has to be charged all the time. It's just, anyway, so that stuff, we, we talked about dial-up internet. Lord, help us. Ah, something that this generation will never struggle with. I mean, they may struggle with the signal from time to time, but they will never know the angst and pain of dial-up. You're in the middle of dialing up to get on the internet, and somebody picks up the phone, you're done. Another 30 minutes waiting to get that thing connected. I mean, that is, that is torture, is it not? I mean, we're talk- I'm from that generation. Like, like, we're talking about that. They're talking about AOL, for goodness sakes. That's how you got on the internet. There wasn't like a, a little thing that you just click and you're there. Like, you had to sign on to get on the internet. And we're talking about things like that. This was in those dreaded, dreaded days of before the iPhones. There was no i-nothing. It was just a phone and an internet and a computer that was the size of that speaker. And you waited for 30, 40 minutes to get on and then thank the Lord when you got in it and you prayed hard that that sucker worked for 10 minutes so you could check that hotmail. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, testify for a second, church. You know, hotmail, thank the Lord, praise God for that stuff because we got nothing in it, but we were going to check it every day just to make sure we didn't get anything in it, you know? I mean, who was emailing back in that day? We still sent letters. But, but we were just reminiscing about that. And I think what our age and what our culture has done, all of this promise of now, 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 faster, 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 has, has hurt us as followers of Jesus in some sense. Because we pray and we expect God, and, and we need to pray and expect God. And yes, I say pray and expect God to do it right then, right now. But what if His right then, right now is not our right then, right now? And I just believe things like this have hurt us. And, and we've, we've, we've punted and we've gotten out of the difficulty and the laborious act of praying and seeking God because praying just seems to go nowhere but hear me I believe that God does some of his greatest work in us in the waiting and seeking and praying for him I just believe he does and in this moment this morning as the band comes back up what we see is this is Jesus pull back the curtain and he, and he gives us some of the sweetest sweetest detail to what prayer can look like and can be like God, can we do it this other way? Okay, no, your will is this, then let's go for it. Help me drink this cup in a way that's going to bring you glory and honor. Let's do it. He doesn't pout and he doesn't quit. All right, all right, God, I'm done. Mm-mm. Let, let them save themselves. I'm out. No, he, he does none of that. What does he do? He presses in all the more and he submits to the Father and he aligns his heart with the Father. And church. I just believe that's a great picture of us because the point of Gethsemane here for us is this invitation from Jesus to come and battle with him. 
That's what we see Jesus do in this moment. He invites his disciples, the three, to come and battle with him. And what does that mean for us? He does the same thing. He's declaring, I have done and I will do the decisive work of turning the human heart to him. But he intends to win this battle with us at his side. Oh, church, think about that. Speaking his word. He he didn't invite Peter, James, and John into that warfare for nothing. He didn't warn them about the weakness of their flesh and call them to pray for nothing. He did it for us. He did it for them. And he intends to fight and to trump with us by his side. Look at what he says here in Matthew 26, 45. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man uh, is betrayed into the hands of sinners. He says in verse 46, and church, this is huge. He says, Rise and let us be going. Do you want to make a difference in this world? He's taught us and he's modeled for us how to fight here in Gethsemane. The sermon doesn't just end and he doesn't say, well, farewell, have a great, great morning, have a great life, I'll see you in a few years. No, he says, rise and let us be going. When it gets difficult, when it's hard, when we're weary, when we're tired, he wakes us and he says, come on, let's get going. We, we got to go. Church, one way that we rise and get going is by way of prayer. My hope for us is this, is that we look at this and as we read this and we see this and we've talked about as Jesus pulls back the curtain and allows us to see these times of his intimate prayer with the Father, that we would be stirred all the more to have a heart and a desire to pray to the Father. The fact that he invites us in and that he wants us and that he welcomes us. May God stir that greater desire to spend the good but difficult work of spending time before him in prayer. And that's my hope. That's my prayer. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God has pricked your heart with by way of his word. Oh man, but I would encourage you, don't fall asleep. Don't go astray. If he's not answering the way that you think he should answer in the way that you think he should answer uh, in the time that you think he should, doesn't mean that he's not. It just might mean that he has a different cup, or he has the cup, but a different way for you to take it. It may mean that he's doing something in the background that you have no clue of that's going to be for your good, so much greater for your good, and so much better for his glory. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what God's stirring in your heart, but man, this altar's open if you want to come pray, or if you need somebody to talk to, I'll be here. But man, may God press upon your heart all the more the great need to, to be praying, the great need not to get tired and weary and stop, but to seek him all the more. Father, we love you, Jesus. We need you. God, move in a way this morning in the hearts of your people. And God, start with me. God, it's so easy to punt on this. It's so easy to get tired. It's so easy to overlook what's prayer really going to do, God, when all the while that's where you do some of your greatest work. So God, stir in the hearts of your saints this morning, those here in this room and those watching online. God, move in a mighty way. Draw us all the closer to your side and give us a greater dependency and a greater need to commune and fellowship with you through prayer. Shame we pray. Amen. You guys stay in Matt and Hannah are going to lead us in a moment of response.